This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's on Anfield Index. I'm Jim Boardman and as always I'm with Jay Reid as we sort of have a look at what's going on with Liverpool and obviously no football at the moment. Um, you think there'd be nothing to talk about at this club though. There's always something to talk about. Um, so much so that we don't even have to talk about the weather which I think last time we did a show it was just sort of too hot to breathe and everything and now it's a bit more um, a bit more like we're used to in these parts which is sort of random unpredictable and whatever clothes you put on for the day are probably not going to suit you for the rest of the day but who cares there's plenty of football stuff on and um, are you surviving the summer Jay I mean it's, it's, it's always bad when there's cricket taking over the back pages instead of the footy but it's not long now not long now yeah, and weirdly enough, I I don't mind watching cricket. Um, and anyone who's got any sort of slight interest in the Ashes would have known. It's not really going the way of the English <laughs> at the moment. Um, and I, I put myself through the torture of watching day one, two, three and four of the latest Ashes test and to see Australia basically building up so slow. You know, Everton's ground might have been finished by the time Australia were finished batting. And then England just recklessly, you know, throwing away the wickets that on Sunday when there was a potential of, you know, Australia just getting England out within the hour. I thought, I'll sod this, I won't watch it. And it was actually probably the best day's cricket across the Ashes yeah. so far. Um, and I missed it. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's English summertime non-football for you. Um, when you're sort of getting a little bit wound up at the fact that, you know, test cricket could have been worth watching and you spent your day walking around a, a country park with a jacket on because it was cloudy and raining when you left and by the time you finished it was probably 24 degrees and the ta- jacket was hanging over me waistline and I was sweating so all in all yeah I'm not doing too bad <laughs> yeah it's yeah I mean compared to last season though I think having like even that's not as bad as our last season was so you know we need we need this summer to kind of cleanse us of last season and um what we also needed this summer for though was to get out there and get some players because we just we said over and over again last season we needed more players and we said where we need them and following on from the Irish lad from Argentina we've got another lad now from Hungary um new signing um all done quite quickly really because I think the sort of information that we were very 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 interested seemed to come quite late and it seemed to be that we had to hurry up and get him because his release clause had a had a sort of sell by date on it if you didn't 
sort of pay the price by by whatever day was the other day where you would miss out. Don't know whether that's true. Um, I'm sure it wasn't as rushed though behind the scenes. I get the feeling we've been um, lining this one up for a while and just biding our time and waiting for the right moment. Yeah, I did notice she wouldn't even attempt to say his name. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so go on. I'll, I'll try and butcher it. Dominic Sabozlai, as far as I know, or uh, that boss lad is probably what is going to be known as um, on the cop because no one else will be able to say his name. So they'll say that boss lad or that boss fella. Um, yeah. Or Dom, just for short. Um, yeah, you, you, you would say, you know, as, as much as the, you know, media frenzy of you know, Owen Steam dropping that we're interested in, Joycey saying that we're in talks and the whole hoo-ha of, you know, 24, 48 hours of his name, you know, being put on Twitter and then Elon saying you can only have 600 looks at it. Um, God, yeah. And then it was, it was done um, within days, but obviously, as you say, business is, is not done in football like that. And I'm, I'm very pleased that we've done this the old way, if that makes sense of, you know, you, we we always reference the old Fabinho transfer on you know losing the Champions League final and then within forty eight hours Fabinho's name was dropped and bang there he was in the red shirt it was very much similar to that and you know it wasn't a drawn out affair in the press and you know if you think of other sagas as such going in in the football transfer sphere at the moment like Mason Mount I just seen on on Sky Sports as we were recording is doing his medical or past his medical like you know he's been signing for United for the past what 15 16 days or something like that after you know we chased him for for so long and decided that you know the the Chelsea lad wanted far too much bags of cash that he didn't deserve so yeah we moved on to a better um more suited financial and probably a better player option for us um I confess that I've probably only seen this kid a handful of times in real life, um, including when he played on field for Salzburg, um, and then a couple of times for Leipzig games I've seen over the Champions League. He's 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 got ability. Obviously, anyone who can command a transfer fee of sixty million quid and play in the Liverpool shirt has obviously got some level of ability. Um, but yeah, the, the YouTube clips make him look fantastic. But then. I suppose Christian Poulsen could find an editor who makes him look half decent, I suppose, on YouTube. So the proof will be in the pudding, as they say, and see what he produces for us. But a lot of people who do watch European football and a lot of people who do know what they're talking about, certainly, you know, licking the lips at the prospect of this lad in the red shirt. And he will bring goals and assists. His record says that alone. You know, he's an, he's an attacking midfield Um player and you know if we're if we're all honest with ourselves as much as you know we've, we've mumbled and grumbled about like what we've needed in midfield and everyone's got their own idea of this what what is the underlying stat is we we never really get enough goals um whether that's you know providing or actually scoring from our midfielders and some people will say that's down to the functionality of how Klopp sets up his teams and whatever but Football's always evolving. If we look at the fact that we've we've evolved ourselves over the last few months into a sort of new formation with the, you know the the evolution of Trent's role and whatever. But if that's the way forward, then so be it. But we could always do with more sources of goals. And this lad looks like he's one that's going to score and provide them. So that's again is always a positive for us. Yeah, yeah. The big thing is um, to me is always having competition. Every single 
every single player on the pitch should feel that um you know I have a bad day I could lose my place um if I'm not if I've not got a place at the minute I've got to fight to get it and I've got to you know take take it with both hands when I get it or both feet more likely um it's it's important to have that competition and what you were saying then as well you just touched on the wages situation and Mason Mount I I mean, I, I get the sort of anger sometimes when we're all sort of sort of fed up with things not working out and players leaving because we've not offered them a deal and stuff. It's it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. But I think certainly when you bring in players in, you've got right. You're not offering them a pittance. I mean, the money that they're being offered by Liverpool is still good money. If it's not as much money as other clubs want to offer them, for me, if you're not if you're not willing to to play for that sort of wedge, then you're not really someone to play for us. I think. I mean, there's no sort of emotional tie, I don't think, for players. I mean, not until they get to a club, but to fit in at Anfield, in my view, you know, if you're being paid an astronomical amount of money compared to everybody else in the squad, just so you can match what you would have got somewhere else, you're probably not the right fit. You know, that shouldn't be your main concern. That should be almost everything should be done and then it's just the wages and here you go. It, it, you know, straight up, this is the kind of money we pay. Um there you go, that's what you're going to get. And I just, you know, I feel like when, when we miss out on plays because they've had better offers off someone else cash-wise, I always think we've missed, you know, maybe we've dodged a bullet on that one. Because um, it's not just about their ability, it's about their attitude, isn't it? And you just feel like sometimes there might be a bit of a prima donna going on if if they're asking for that kind of cash. I mean, maybe that's not the case with Mount, maybe, maybe he's not that kind of person, but I don't know. Anyone who's been at Chelsea, unless they're sort of, you know, with odd exceptions like Mr. Mister Salah, um, maybe they're already damaged goods, aren't they, as far as we're concerned? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Not only that, I think if you look at the way we operate as a club, and you, you just mentioned Salah there, Salah will have come in, what is it now, six years ago or something like that, he, he joined us, uh, five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, he will have come in on, you know, let, let's talk football terms, a very good wage. Right? Yeah. We don't, I don't know what that was off the top of my head of research, but let's just say somewhere in the 80 to 100 grand mark, which is obscene money to the me and more, but at football level, you know, that's a that's a good solid top end wage. And the proof is there as a track record of well Salah's performed out of his skin. He's won, you know, numerous trophies personally and with the club and with his progress and with his success on the field, it's handsomely rewarded in terms of a, a contract and, and a wage boost. And, you know, likewise with the likes of Berger Van Dijk and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold more recently, like, if you continue to contribute and be such a key factor in the success personally and the club and the team, then the, the track record is there to show that, you know, in two years' time, if if Dominic Sabozlai is on 120 grand and in 
two years, he's racked up, you know, 30 goals and 30 assists and contributed towards us winning some trophies. You know, then the club will probably be knocking on or ringing up his agent saying, look, this lad's so good to us. We want to discuss a contract extension and we'll throw in a wage rise because he's earned it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's there as an incentive also. And I know obviously our contracts are also very incentive based in terms of success also. If, if players score so many goals, clean sheets, win trophies and whatever, you know, like the, the financial podcast lads will all show you like the wage bill will rocket when we have good seasons. And then this season where we've had a pretty or the season just passed in the flat season where we've not won nothing. You know, we've not got Champions League football. We didn't, you know, really get anywhere near trophy success. Then players will not have had them advantageous incentive bonuses. So, you know, the, the carrots there then for the next season to go, you know what, if you want to earn that extra few quid, you go out and you earn it and, and, and it'll be paid and rewarded. And I'm sure, as you said, regarding, you know, dodging bullets with players, it's a, question of character if if a player wants to join and says you know what I money in football is crazy but if the top end wage is not all that because you know it's not 250 grand it's 120 grand um, but if you win like next season winning the Europa League if we go and win the Europa League X amount of money as a bonus for you if you hit so many goals and assists X amount of bonus for you and the incentive is there to to drive the player on and that's what we're looking for if that player's like yes that will do me I will prove to you I can do it and myself you know for the for the financial reward and the personal reward as well then that's the type of player that we need in our club and that's the type of player that obviously we're in the market for and well, what we've we've signed and probably Alexis and Dominic yeah and I think as well you've got um, as, as well as the wages from the club you get all these uh, commercial tie-ins that you can get all your own sponsorship deals and stuff um, like Trent for example is a Red Bull athlete and he's not just because he's a big fan of Red Bull it's because he's getting paid a wedge by them and I think Mason Mount might be one as well actually but um, you know th- there's all these other deals that they have boot deals clearly is the big one um, which you know nowadays the, the players almost have um can almost write their own checks over what they get but I mean in days gone by I can always remember Steve McManaman blacking out his boots because he'd done a, he, the deal he'd done with one boot company um, he'd done when he was still a trainee almost you know he's still in the sort of back then the reserves if you like and when he broke through to the first team and was playing regularly this this boot deal still existed it is still valid it still had so many years left to run on it and clearly they were paying him you know they were probably like getting him a couple of free boots every so often in return for wearing them rather than giving him any money so he just coloured out the logo coloured out the stripes and eventually they relented and he got to do a deal with someone else for some real money um, but then again another thing bringing up Matt Manaman though is um, mixed feelings on him um, how good a player he was we tried to sell him to Barcelona according to the stories at the time and he didn't want to go and then maybe a year later He's, he'd got to a point where he could leave. I think it was a year later. He got to the point where he could leave on what was a new thing then, the Bosman rule, and you could leave on a free at the end of your contract. That was quite a new novel thing then. He was one of the first to do it. But by doing that, he went to Real Madrid, and instead of them paying whatever the transfer fee would have been at the time, they could give him you know, the, the vast majority of that transfer fee in a sort of signing-on fee or as part of his, his package for joining. And so there was no way Liverpool could match that offer. And at the time, there was sort of... 
mixed feelings that you know we should have tried harder to keep him there was sort of people saying we shouldn't have upset him the year before by offering him to Barcelona but you think well maybe we offered him to Barcelona because we knew that he wasn't looking to he wasn't getting ready to sign a new deal we wanted to cash in and he just gives into this whole this whole thing it's all about the money again but you know fast forward to now and Thiago for example but I think this is the last year of his contract now and there's all this talk about him going somewhere else there's been interest from Saudi things like that um, apparently he's turned down an offer but well I'm not saying he's turned down an offer whether it's him or the club technically it shouldn't be him because he shouldn't be getting contacted it should be the club but you know if if Liverpool want to keep him for more than that year they're going to have to offer him some money that kind of matches the key, the kind of money that Saudi and places like that are going to be throwing at him not necessarily match it exactly but you know at least have something that's comparable but the kind of money they're going to be offering is going to sort of smash our wedge structure so you end up um, you end up in this situation we've been in with other players as you've already mentioned tonight we, we end up with players just running down the contracts and going for nothing and again I just feel it's one of those dilemmas in the game. I don't want us to start paying players the kind of wages to stay on that they'll be getting if they go on a free somewhere where they get a big chunk of what would have been the transfer fee as part of their money. We can't can't do that without causing problems with wage structures. And, you know, in a way, I suppose what we've got to start doing is accepting that if a player's got two years left on his deal and he's not signed, chances are we're just going to let him go on a free. I think we've just got to start getting used to that because that feels like that's how we're doing things. Yeah, and I suppose there's no there's no overall harm in that if a player's coming to the end of their their better end of the career. So if if we're if we're all honest with Thiago, then you know he's at that age now where he was never the quickest, but he's slowing down mm-hmm. <laughs> more. Um, uh, you, you look at you know Fabinho and Henderson. The reality is we're we're probably not going to sell them lads. They'll probably run to the end of their contracts, and people will argue, you know, the money that these lads are on and the influence and impact that they can make is it really worth it? You know, like that's down to personal opinion and preference, but it it begs the question as to, you know, we're the sell to buy policy club, or in in most seasons we are, we, we might be having one of these summers which we had about, I think, about four or five years ago, or something like that where we had a lot of heavy investments. Um, like we bought in the likes of Allison, and then I think we bought in Van Dyke in the January and stuff like that. Over, over like a 12-month period, we did have a lot of investments and not a lot of sales. And then the last few years, you know, we, we didn't really have too much investment and we probably went a year or two long in that. And that's why we're now in the position that we're in. But in the whole, you know, People will always reference, you know, we sold Coutinho and it funded Van Dyke and Allison, sell to buy sort of thing. And that's what the mantra of FSG tends to be that, you know, a self sufficient club. And there is no harm in in doing that. And like that's the, the right way to run football clubs if you can do it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're competing with clubs that are run by states and countries. And we're competing with clubs who are doing backdoor deals left, right, and centre with other clubs. And, you know, the find and fund them from unnamed sources, you know, Man City and 30 million springs to mind. But if we're going to be that type of club who operates the ship in that way, then we do need to sell and we need to look at the right times to sell people. And, you know, if we just look at recent times, like, you know, you can pick out a huge number of players who we've had 
on our books and quite a lot of them have gone on free transfers. So if you look at Divock Origi as a classic example, um, scored the win in the Champions League final. His value was probably 20 million plus. We yeah. should have been cashing in then. Like that was the moment there to cash him in. And we never, we give him a contract. He sort of sat on the bench. He idled about. He scored the odd goal here and there. He gave us great memories. Yes, thank you very much. But the, the time to sell him was then. And he walked away for free. If you look at, you know, like Nath Phillips, he had a great season at centre half. His value was probably touching 12 to 15 million. We were probably lucky to get anywhere near eight to nine million at the moment. And that's being very lucky if we're all honest with ourselves. If someone knocked on Liverpool's door and said, we'll give you seven million to take Nath Phillips, you'd shake their hand and you'd, you'd pack his bag for him because he's not going to feature anymore. And there's, there's numerous players you look at, like the likes of. Albi Moreno, Emery Chan, Daniel Sturridge, Adam Lallana. This season alone, Bobby Firmino, Oxley Chamberlain, um, Naby Keita. You know, James Milner. You, James Milner is a slightly different case because we kept giving him one-year deals. But Firmino, Keita and Ox, you know, we knew last summer that them three lads were not going to sign a new deal. We should have been looking to shift two of them on, at least. You know, if you get double-digit figures, yeah, 10 million or so for one of them. You know, you sell a couple of them, you get 20 million. Across the season, you know, the, the actual influence of those lads, Firmino has had more impact than any of them, you know, with, with some crucial goals. So you, you think of like even the last game of the season when we were trying to, you know, sneak our way into the top four for a medical, he, he came off the bench and got one there, or the last home game of the season, sorry. Um there was an opportunity to sell, to reinvest, and we might have been able to, you know, afford, if we had sold Cater and Oxley Chamber last year, we might have been able to afford a midfielder last summer. And that might have given us, you know, a platform where this year we didn't need so many. You know, it, it does sort of, you know, stick in the back of your mind and think, like, if we sell to buy and we're not selling, then we can't buy. And the owners aren't going to put the cash in that we always need every year because they're just not that way inclined and we're just going round in a vicious circle um, which brings us to Thiago and he's on rumoured 200 grand a week he doesn't want to go probably because he might not be getting 200 grand a week somewhere else other than Saudi and he might not fancy going to Saudi you know it's not for everyone he might think well I'm not that type of mercenary it's not that type of country that I want to live in it's not my sort of beliefs that I that my, live my life by and how I want to bring up my kids and my family and whatever so yeah. I'm going to stay where I am and then you know we might get a dozen performances out of this season where it's 8, 9 out of 10 and that's it but then you know the, the flip side of the coin as well if we could shift them on and bring in a lad who's 22, 23 you know let's just pluck a name out there there's Kefren Toram that's been doing the rounds if you sell Thiago for I don't know 10, 10 to 15 million and you can reinvest that and buy a Kefren Toram for 40 million well you know you, you're sort of doing the basic maths and saying well he's only costing you 25 million in essence but you're getting a lad who's 10, 12 years younger and probably available 50, 60 games of the season if that's what you need them for rather than you know 20 games of the season where of that 10 or 12 might be top class performances where you might get 30 or 40 7 out of 10s from this other lad and you can develop him and you can mould him and you've got 
years down the line. I think yeah, as well. It's like the the, the wages as well. It's like if whatever they're on. If you're on two hundred grand a week plus incentives, well, you're on two hundred grand a week. Then whether you play well, play badly, or don't play all, aren't you? You're on that every week, and you bring a young lad in, say, who's on let's just say hundred grand a week, just making up figures, and he plays every week. Well, you know the the, the money, the money situation straight away, even without transfer fees, um, you're better off with the lad on the hundred round a week than the, the one on 200 as you know performances permitted and all the rest of it but then I wondered like with Cater because like he didn't seem to have like whatever, whatever, however good we thought he was going to be he was never that good for us now whether that's because he never got the opportunities whether he was injured a lot whatever it doesn't really matter he just wasn't that player for us that we thought he was and that was definitely the case last season and it's Oxley Chamberlain again injuries sort of changed what he was like and we, we sort of tried to use him in all kinds of weird places last season um, when we were really struggling to, to get players in. And all I can think of is, you know, they were they were really on the fringes, these players. They weren't sort of in, in Klopp's sort of, you know, sort of close at hand sort of list of players you'll sort of try and start with on a regular basis or even an occasional basis. I don't know why we didn't loan them out. If we can't sell them, because fair enough to them, if they want to hang on for a year, get that year's worth of wages that they're, that they're on and then go and get a decent payday off someone else, I don't blame them. But if you loan them out, even if you don't get all the wages paid, you can cut it down and use a bit of that to pay the wages for someone else, can't you? That's, that you're going to use every week. Yeah, and as, as we've, we've said, like we, we've got to cut our cloth accordingly because we're not we're just not ran that way. Um, and and the, the loan thing you, you mentioned there, like lads going on loan, I think sometimes you, you look at players that we've got so you know and their name that comes to mind now is Reese Williams um, I, I questioned the, the deal because he's gone to Aberdeen and we've just sold them Leighton Clark's news up there I think for maybe 6 to 12 months last year and he, he'd done alright so now he's earned himself a permanent move and you know the fee I think was undisclosed for that we've sent Reese Williams up there on a loan undisclosed loan fee if there is a loan fee available for that I think maybe there might be some sort of, you know, handshakes regarding the Calvin Ramsey deal because that's where we got him from and maybe sort of writing, writing some money off here and there to balance the books and, and whatever. But if if everyone's honest with themselves, Reese Williams has had a couple of failed loans in the championship. He's clearly not going to make it for us, sadly, at this level. We should be just looking to to take any sort of, you know, respectable fee for the lad. And letting him go. I think again, referencing Nath Phillips again, like the lad isn't isn't going to make it as a regular for Liverpool. He might be able to come in and fill in for the game here and there, but sadly, he just doesn't have the attributes, mainly pace, to play the way we play. He, he will be fine, suited to a certain other team, a certain style of play, and that's great. But hanging on to him, you know, like demanding ten million for him, demanding whatever fee we wanted for Reese Williams, it doesn't work, and you loaned him. And then we just go back in the cycle in 12 months' time. Reese Williams is probably going to come back to Liverpool. And I don't know how long's left on this deal. And he might just end up walking away for free. And and I'm sure whatever wages he's on, Aberdeen probably aren't contributing 100% to that. So we're still paying him. Like, it's sort of we're holding ourselves back and we're holding the player back. I think at times we should be allowed to be more proactive and sort of you probably know at a certain point in a player's career whether it's you know 
22, 23, they're not really ever going to make it at us. Or if you think there's maybe a you know a twenty five percent chance, then then you let them go, but you put in a buyback clause. I think. Yeah, we did that a couple of at, times a few years back, didn't we? Yeah, like they might not work, and that's fine. You know, I think you know Man City sold that Romeo Lavia, a name that's hot on the lips of everyone at the moment, to Southampton last summer, and put a buyback clause in that was active next summer. I think it is for like forty million quid or something like that. So they probably seen like right, he's not going to get into our team right now. He looks like a decent prospect. We'll sell him, and if he's that good, you know, Southampton will have had a couple of years out of him, and they'll get a bit more money back in the bank. But he might be worth seventy million in a year's time had Southampton have stayed up and Lavia remained at Southampton and had two years in the Premier League, and then Man City get themselves a bargain of forty million quid or whatever. Like it's. It's just clever business, um, and also Man City again, like inflated fees and so on and whatever. But they're doing it the right way. If they're bringing players through and they're not quite good enough there and then, at least they're getting them out the door and they're getting some money in the bank. However much that money is legal, they're still getting say, money yeah, in the bank you, you and they're reinvesting it. Yeah, the first thought, the first thought is like you get the feeling. Yeah, you meet, the first thought is if we do this, will it help us with the FFP stuff? Can we make it sound like? You know, we're not bankrolled by our boss. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean so- the, the, the latest one for them, sorry, is they're selling a, a keeper to Burnley for 19 million quid. And the highest level he's played is League One. God. He's, he's the current England under 21 European Championship keeper that's playing James Trafford, his name is anyway. And it popped up last night that they've agreed a deal for him to go to Burnley. Vincent Company's Burnley, we must add, um, for 19 million quid. And someone said he's, he's never played above League One. And you think, well, already the alarm bells are going off. Like, hang on a minute, that that's that's a large fee. I know he's English and the English tax on players is, is outrageous. But if that's the level that he's played at and that's the transfer fee that is deemed acceptable, let's put that in quotation marks, then we're not far-fetched to be asking for... 25 million for Keevan Gallagher, but in reality, we think right well for Keevan Gallagher, it's what would we take 15 million? I think probably most people would think, yeah, 15 to 20 million rise, and maybe is a decent fee. We'd probably take 15 million, including various clauses and and things that that got it up to that, I reckon. Yeah, and then you look and think, right, well, this this kid is you know, he's, he's played in. He's played in the Wembley Cup final. He's he's won as a cup final. He's played, you know, Premier League level. I think he's played in the, maybe a Champions League game or two. You know, he's been at Liverpool under the best goalkeeper in the world, in, in many people's opinion. So with that lad who's played for, I think he played for Rochdale on loan or whatever in League One, is going for 19 million. Then, you know, we, we've got to be saying, right, well, we want 30 million for him, but the reality is we're never going to get it. And, if you went down that minefield of Man City transfers, you'd be here all day. But it is that sort of, you know, thing of that they're not going to see that that lad come through because they've got Edison and Ortega, so they're shipping him out. And if he's any good, I'm sure they're probably going to buy back to say, right, we'll buy him back in two years, three years time for thirty million quid or whatever like that. And you know, Burnley win because they get a good player and they get the money back in the bank, but. Man City are being at least proactive enough to say that there's no there's no direct route for you 
to our first team because you're just not quite at the level we require. But at least they're getting them out there and they're getting money in. Okay, figures is up for dispute, but they're doing it the smart way. And they're, they're at least trying to represent themselves as a, a club that's financially doing things the right way, even though everyone knows it's not. Yeah, and talking of doing things the right way, um, Newcastle's owners, apparently, the I don't know what the actual name is, the, the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund or whatever it, whatever its name is, apparently they, they sort of bought four of Saudi's, I'm going to say Premier League, Saudi's Premier League clubs, um, one of which I think, I can't remember now, I'm not sure if the one that Stephen Gerrard's gone to is actually one of those, but... I don't think it is. It isn't, is it? And I'm thinking... <sighs> How can you get away with buying four clubs in one league and owning a club in another league? I'm sure there was a thing not that long ago that um, it kind of happened with FSG. FSG kind of had people who bought a chunk in Roma and they had to kind of separate them out somehow because otherwise, I mean, different thing is obviously they're playing in the same Champions League potentially or European competitions as Liverpool. So there could be some clash and things like that. But, you know, owning more than one club was sort of considered a no-no even if they weren't in the same country and then you see them I know City have kind of done something similar though with different countries but I don't understand how um, the Saudi league you know can be sort of getting away with that other than the fact that I suppose the Saudi FA um, probably answers to the people who pay in, who bought these four Saudi clubs but um, it seems to be the place to go at the minute and I don't know I've got mixed feelings about it because I'm not going to knock someone who goes over there if they've got um nothing else on you know this is their only chance to get a bit of cash if they've um only chance to get the, get their hand in and, and keep coaching or playing or whatever but um it feels like we've all kind of accepted it now we kind of accepted what Saudi are doing we're just getting on with it and ignoring it and if you were sort of if you were sort of advising the Saudis when they first got that the heat about buying Newcastle and all the hassle you'd have probably said to them like just 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 ride it out it'll die down it'll fade out it'll burn away you know just burn itself out and you know I don't want to have a go at, at, at Steven Gerrard or anyone else who's gone out there particularly you know because that's down to them but I just feel like we're just letting it go we're letting the city you know their FFP stuff we're still waiting for that to happen just feels like we're letting it go and then you know, like you were saying earlier on, Liverpool are sort of being more traditional about it, trying to be self-sufficient. But, you know, I don't know. We've got to sort of look at this. I mean, I would rather us be self-sufficient than that. I'd rather the game be self-sufficient. But, um, you know, department store in Liverpool years ago, George Henry Lees, nowadays called John Lewis, always had this sort of great aura about the place, about how they really treated you fairly and stuff. And they always had that saying, never knowingly undersold. And they scrapped that because they realised that in this day and age, that as good as that was in the day, it's no good now. If they want to survive as a company, they can't keep doing that because they're competing against the wrong kind of people. And yeah, I'm just a bit, I'm just sort of thinking, I don't know, sooner or later, we're going to have to kind of accept either that we're not going to win this battle with all these oil nations. And it's just, you know, You've, you've sort of just got to go along with it or we've really got to start pushing again and, and get something done about it hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, 
covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think ooh, it's it's a minefield of, of a topic to, to, to work its way through, isn't it, really? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, everyone question like you think back to it was 2003 when Roman come into English football Roman Vranvich with Chelsea um, and everyone was like you know it's it's Russian oil money and it was sort of that was the start of it all and he was he was the first and if you think of the, the sort of the similar parallels to when Roman came into Chelsea and what the Saudis are doing in football in general like you know, they're basically walking around with a blank checkbook and saying to people, you sign your amount at the bottom there yeah. and we'll sort it for you. Where, like, you know, Chelsea, they, they still are mental in terms of how they operate and whatever. But, you know, under Roman, they were signing, like, what, like seven, nine players at transfer window and, like, completely just going out there and saying, like, we'll have you, we'll have you, we'll have you. And it was just like, are they ever going to stop? And it just seems the same with Saudi. And it, I, as you rightly said, like, you know, if you or I were offered 18 months work doing our current job, but it was easier and they were giving you, you know, seven, eight times your salary, you, you probably wouldn't be thinking too long about it or your missus would be pushing you out the door with your suitcase <laughs> and they're saying, off you go, I'll see you in 18 months' time. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and... You know, you, you you think of the likes of Steven Gerrard and Robbie Fowler who've gone out there. Neither fella needs any more cash in the bank. You know, Robbie has been a very shrewd investor in the whole of his career, really, in, in what he's done. If you think back to, you know, the times of people joking that he lived in Robbie, one of Robbie Fowler's houses because he bought yeah. up so many houses around the city. And Steven Gerrard was a generational talent that, you know, you, you referenced football because before Steven Gerrard Adidas Predator Boots it was like you know it went hand in hand sort of thing and you know he doesn't need any more zeros in his bank accounts but if the opportunity presents itself to do so you know why wouldn't you like he's probably setting up generations of his family and friends and whatever like you know he can go out there and, and name his price and I would imagine the fact that he went there and it fell through and then he's gone back and he's signed. He's probably gone there and he's gone, name me price. And he's gone, that's me price. And he's gone, nah. And he's gone, all right, sound. And then they've got back on the phone a week later and gone, go on then. <laughs> go on, you can have that. Like, And you can probably have, you know, a nice Ferrari to whiz around, whatever in Saudi Arabia he is, whether it's Riyadh or Jeddah or whatever, or somewhere else. I don't know any other cities um, in reference to Saudi. But, um, it does, it does sort of seem an element of reluctance. And you think back to when Liverpool were going to win the league and it was like Man City need to stop Liverpool, anything to stop Liverpool. It was the, you know, the, that negative connotation of you can't let Liverpool win the league, anyone but Liverpool. And Man City do the whole nation a favour. They'll save football if, yeah. if they stop Liverpool win the league. And 
it was like, are you actually like comprehending the fact of what they're doing? Like, and you know, look back to last season, Man City sweep the board domestically pretty much apart from the, the Carabao Cup, but you know, won the, won the treble, much to the 3,000 fan delight on the streets. But it was like, you know, Man City have done this amazing achievement. Let's not mention the fact of how they've done it and the 115 charges that are currently pending in the courts for how they're doing it. But, you know, let's all laud this amazing Manchester City team and how, you know, they've changed the face of football forever. But how? You know what I mean? Like that, that That's the big question. Like, how have they done it? And if this all, you know, if if there's any justice in the world, it'll be found like Lance Armstrong was with the Tour de France. Like, they've done it wrong. They've done it the wrong way. They cheated. Yeah. And then his whole career has been tarnished for that. Will it be the same with Man City? I just don't think it ever will because even if they do get charged, you know, I just I just can't see people, you know, damning them as much as the likes of Lance Armstrong was. You know, like they might get, you know, a, a slap on the wrist, a massive fine, title strip. They might get, you know, relegated from the league for a year or two. But I just don't ever see the fact that they'll be slaughtered as much as, you know, other things have been or what they should be because, you know, if it's not Man City, it'll be Newcastle. If it's not Newcastle, it'll be Chelsea. If it's not them, you know, if United get Qatari funds, like you think of the United fans who were, you know, if if they don't sign Mason Mount by tonight, they'll probably be down there with the Norwich scarves kicking off. And saying like, where's where's the money? Because the Glazers are fleecing the club, and then one Mason Mount signs, it'll be all okay for a couple of days, and they go right, the Glazers out because we want the Qataris in. Like, and it's just like, is this actually what 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 it's become to? And you think how how much longer has the game got left? Because if if these handful of clubs and nations are taking, you know, the top end of football that far away from the bracket. Then the, the divide is getting much bigger, and you know you, you you think of the likes of Gary Neville procrastinating on on the telly about the football pyramid needs to be protected, but the football pyramid is just getting the head chopped off, and and that's just floating away down the road because you know these three or four, five or six countries are taking these clubs and they're just going to play their own game, and you can sort of see it rolling down down, you know the the Super League road coming all back again, and yeah. just basically exhibition games and 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 that that is the fear that what football will become it'll become so disconnected you'll have a handful of you know super clubs you know the Madrids the Barcelonas the Bayern Munich you know a couple from England and whatever playing exhibition games and the rest of it will just become again in quotation marks sort of like amateur Sunday league football where they just sort of you know you rock up at your smaller ground and you you know, you go and see a game of football on a Saturday, you have your pie and your pint and you go home. And to many, that's what football is. But it kind of does feel as though it's becoming so disconnected the way it's currently going. Yeah, it's like Disneyland football, what we see in the Premier League at times. That's how I kind of think of it because, you know, it's all sort of, um, it's all for show. It's all theme parky. It's all um, so, so so madly con- commercial. And I mean, it's an amazing experience and all the rest of it. That's not, you know, I'm not sort of doing it down completely. It is an amazing experience. But, um 
it just doesn't feel real at times. And the trouble is, I think, for the money to be sort of dealt with in football, it needs to start at the top and work its way down. So FIFA needs to be putting the foot down, and then UEFA and the equivalent of UEFA in other parts of the world need to be putting the foot down, and then the FA and the equivalent of the FA in other countries need to be putting the foot down. But it's not going to happen because, you know, you look at FIFA's big wigs sitting with whoever the oligarch of the moment is whenever there's anything to, to be done. They always seem to be hanging around with, with people like that. You look at UEFA, you know, more of the same. Um, there was all that issue about Blatter and Platini leaving those two organisations and how it would all change. I don't think it particularly did. Um, and that's how it is. And Super League, in a way, might have actually, in a, in a sort of backwards way, might have actually ended up giving us... Um, a less corrupt game, but at the same time, it would have been a game that was, like you say, just a little bit of a closed shot. So, yeah, it's it's something that's just going to keep happening. It needs sorting, but I just don't think it will. I think what what will sort it is one day maybe the bubble will burst. Somehow the bubble will burst and, um, you know, people will find something else to spend the money on, but it's the big thing to spend the money on. I'm looking at, I mentioned it before, I think Formula One has this cost cap idea. So it's not about how much money you've got, it's about sort of set amount you can spend on certain things over the course of a certain amount of time and um if you don't do it you know stick within the limits you get penalized in in ways not just with money you know you get other other ways of being penalized i think teams like you might lose time in the wind tunnel which you need to develop your vehicles and all this kind of stuff so and and i mean and at the bottom end of the sport i think there's some uh, teams who can't afford to sort of even hit that cap because they haven't got that much money coming in but at least it kind of keeps a lid on things and um i just can't believe football with all its sort of clever people involved all the all the financial people involved can't just sort of sit around and say you know what let's make this work for everyone let's make it fair if people with money want to come in we're not going to stop them but they're not going to run away with everything just because they've got the most cash because that's not that's not what sport's meant to be about um I suppose there is sometimes, but you know, it isn't what it's meant to be about, even though it, it sometimes ends up quite often ends up being that way. Um, moving on from that, um, we just mentioned Steven Gerrard and that gets me nicely onto another topic you were, you were talking about as well, which is interesting in, um, shirt numbers because Gerrard used to wear, well, he, his last shirt at Anfield was eight. I think he was 17 before that and 28 before that for Liverpool. He wore four for England, didn't he? But for us, I think number eight kind of, um, if you see the Liverpool number eight shirt, then maybe that's the first player you think of. And that's what our new boy, Dominic, special name has, uh, has picked. Um, I think Luis Diaz has he moved to number seven, which for me yep. was, that was a special shirt. There's talk that maybe, uh, the number nine is going to go to one of the two front lads that's not got one of the, uh, you know, aren't in a number one to 11 at the moment. So, um, it's all very interesting to see what happens because I think a lot of the time, like, I don't know. Those numbers just, they do mean a thing, don't they? They, that's a number that just jumps out at you. And as you said, what, what the shirt numbers mean, I can name a good few numbers myself that, um, as soon as I see that number, I know who I'm thinking of. And just one more quick one for me on it. Um, weirdly, um, talking about F1, Fernando Alonso has car number 14 and number 14 is Chabby Alonso. And it doesn't have to get me confused, but yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, for it, you, number eight, Stephen Gerrard. Like, just, yeah, cross cross sport references, roots in in cricket, route sixty six. Oh god, he wears number sixty six, and Trent wears number sixty six, and and I do think like they are the only two people synonymous with the number sixty six, and I don't ever think Trent will change that because it's it's sort of you know an unofficial trademark of his. 
yeah. like obviously like Joe Root is. I think he said he he, he done it as a joke and Root sixty six or something was, but it stuck. Um, yeah, number eight. You, you say number eight for Liverpool and for my generation alone, it, it's Stephen Gerrard. For for older generations, they might reference other players, but you know it. it it's a big, it's a big, big number, especially when you know. For me, probably the the greatest ever player to wear the Liverpool shirt that I've seen in my lifetime. Obviously, people of a an older persuasion like yourself might think of other people who could rival that mantle. Um, you know, and again, number seven, Kenny Daglish, many would say is the greatest ever Liverpool player. That again is down to personal debate or opinion, but. It's these sort of iconic numbers, especially obviously the one to eleven, up until a certain time in football, was the shirt numbers in the game, and people will always, you know, think of certain numbers synonymous with certain players. But in the modern game, where you know shirt numbers are, are crazy, there's still an iconic sort of feel about having a the one to eleven as much as you can on the pitch at any one time. And obviously, as you said, like shirt numbers within within that sort of range, and for this new lad uh, Dominic to come in and and say like, well, I'm I'm happy to take that number eight shirt. You know, it, it could have been very easy for him to say, you know, what, give me number, I don't know, let's just say twenty four or something like that. Pick a number off the top of my head, yeah. um, and say like, you know, I'll have number twenty four, and you know, there'll be no added pressure upon me because. You know, think of the last lad we signed from RB Leipzig, Naby Keita. Uh, he spoke of him early on, and it didn't didn't quite live up to the hype of what it was meant to be for him in, in a Liverpool share for one reason or another. Um, and you know, the, the fact he came in and took that number eight shirt, it weighed heavy upon people's minds that this is the lad who's took Gerard's eight. He should be as good as Stevie G. And you know, people always use that as a as a, a, a a weapon to beat Jordan Henderson with that he took the captaincy after Stevie G and it was, you know, a different type of captain and whatever your opinions are on Jordan Henderson, it will always be a conversation point within people's minds of was he ever as good as Gerard? And people will say yes, people will say no for one reason or another. But the shirt number does mean so only the fact he's come in, taken it and and rolled with it. I think he referenced Stephen Gerard whether it's genuine to do with some tattoo on his arm um, some sort of quotation but you know you, you've got to hand it to him and say like fair enough if that's the, the shirt number you want and you feel that you're big enough to fill it then fair play to your son like go out there and, and do what you can and, and prove it to us because you know it, it is it is a synonymous shirt and as you quickly mentioned Luis Diaz taking the number seven I think that was a quite natural sort of fit by you know, you think of number sevens that we've had over over time and, you know, Lewis Suarez is probably the most famous number seven in recent years, but you mentioned him earlier on, Steve McManaman, and my younger childhood memories of seeing the number seven shirt with Liverpool was McManaman and and dribbling, you know, being them, that mazy sort of tricky winger, which is very Lewis Diaz-esque. So, again, there's a sort of natural, seamless feel about that. And... Yeah, I, whether Darwin or Cody take the number nine, I'm not too sure because I think it probably would have been announced by now. I kind of feel as though those two lads are just feeling like I've not done enough to earn the right to take that number nine shirt. Yeah, 
I don't yeah. know. I could just be like, you know, an underlying theory because again, huge number. Like a lot of a lot of great names have worn that shirt. A lot of not so great names in recent times, but yeah. It's it's a huge shirt to take. Yeah, I mean I, I I mean I've got a list of all the sort of Premier League shirt numbers um down the years kind of thing and I think it's lfchistory.net I got it from and it only goes on the Premier League so obviously before the Premier League you didn't have a squad number you got whatever number got thrown at you by the manager or whatever and it, you know 1 to 11 um, and sometimes the numbers meant something about where you'd play on the pitch and um, I mean number 8 to me before the Premier League was John Aldridge um, probably because he came in to replace Ian Rush um, when Rushy went to Juve and at the time, the talk was that he didn't want to wear the number nine because it put too much pressure on him. He looked just like Ian Rush. If he wore number nine, it put too much pressure on him. But what uh, Aldo actually said was he took number eight because that was his hero's number, Roger Hunt. So, you know, these numbers do mean something. They stick. They stick in memories. I mean, number seven's not been a great shirt for us since the Premier League, I would say. I mean, obviously, Steve Mack, Stevie Matt was good. Vladimir Smitsarat was definitely a hero at times, although he, he did switch numbers, didn't he? Um, and obviously, Luis Suarez... James Miller, you can't complain, but Harry Kewell didn't do as well as we'd hoped. Nigel Clough definitely didn't do as much as we'd thought. I think he came in as the first number seven for us in the Premier League, maybe. Robbie Keane, what happened there? You know, but before that, Kenny Dalgleish was an absolute icon in the number seven for me, and he got that number off. Kevin Keegan, who, um, you know, for me is a really, really young kid, really young. Um, I could even lie and say before I was born, but it wasn't. But Keegan was like the hero for, for me growing up. And then when he was leaving, who the hell is this Kenny Dalgleish? Getting the same number and turned out to be, in my opinion, even better, you know, way, way better. Um, but we've been blessed to have all these players and, um, you know, the, the, the numbers, the numbers, I think, I don't know. It does add pressure, and I think that's that's a good thing. If you if you can take that pressure, um, maybe you're a bit too cocky. There's probably been players who've, who've sort of fallen down that way, but on the whole, I think it sort of shows a sign of confidence. Um, but number nine's had some bad spells, hasn't it? Um, I'm just looking through now. Ben Teke, Andy <laughs> Carroll, El Hadjif. Um, but he said it's good. But I mean, there's Diego Aspas if you're thinking of corners. Um, God, Nicholas Anelka, I forgot about him. He was yeah. in there five minutes. I think, you it, know. if we're all honest with ourselves, the last great number nine was probably Fernando, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, Darwin had a mixed season, I think is probably the best way to describe it. And a lot of people are probably expecting a lot more from the lad next season. Um, the fact that I think his English is a sticking point but he's working on it I think he was I seen a YouTube clip uh, earlier on of them doing some sort of powerful shopping how, how powerful can Darwin hit a ball and I think anyone who's seen him live at Anfield last season knows he can barely rifle it um, but yeah he, he was speaking English on this video clip um, oh that's good and it's clearly improving and I think Klopp said himself like once he understands English a bit more and how things are working he'll become a lot better and added into the new guys, I know Alexis and and, and uh, Dominic will, will clearly provide a lot more creativity. So, you know, maybe he has an uptick next season, hopefully for all the best. But why would he take the number nine shirt and necessarily put more pressure on himself? Because there's already question marks out there from people. So it might be a wise move for him to just stay in, as it's 27, I think he's got now, and for Gakpo to stay at number 18 and say, you know what, let's just get our feet properly under the table because you know Gakpo's only been here since January Darwin is 
is getting himself settled. He's been here a year. Let's do next season. And if if one of these lads goes and racks up, you know, twenty goals in the league and you know, twenty eight across all competitions, then maybe next summer you go, you know what? I'm here now. And now I can take the number nine shirt. Yeah, I could always imagine Klopp or someone say to them, look, that number nine is not getting used this season. Next season it's going to be used. It's either going to be one of you two, because you've, you know, you, you've got yourselves up to that level, or someone else is coming in and one of you two is yeah. on the way out. And almost a kind of an incentive in a different way to, to take it. Um, another thing as well, just when you're talking about Matt Manham and then that come into my head, um, one of the sort of memories of Steve McManaman, I've got lots of memories of him. He was a great player and it's a shame we didn't get to keep him longer and a shame that he came, he was at the club at a time when it happens every so often. I mean, Steven Gerrard's another player this applies to where you've got this absolute star player that's not got enough other star players around him, sort of, you know, great players around him to, you know, they can't do it all on their own and at times you feel like they're going to have to. But um it was just what, at the time, one of the sort of images I have in my head of Matt Manaman is him wearing that green and white diamond away kit, which um, I loved that shirt when it came out. Um, like the, the four, not diamond, sorry, the four quarters. I loved that when it came out. And it was an Adidas one. I just thought it was great. But then my memory of it is just completely tarnished forever because it's the kit that the lads got changed into after they'd been walking around Wembley in the white suits and the kit that they wore when they got beat by the Manx in the FA Cup final when they were being called the Spice Boys and everything. And I can't get that memory of that kit out of my head, really. As much as I loved it, I've got that horrible sort of bad memory of it as well. And what have Liverpool gone and done? They've kind of come up with this, like, scribbled version of it, haven't they, as the new away kit? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs mag boxes and games consoles visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code aivpn25 to get 25 percent off at checkout yeah so it's almost like a pixelated computer photograph <laughs> version um but he'll be all right when it's finished is what i think someone was going to say right? <laughs> yeah and uh, you know you, you reference that kit and man united i i have that kit in my mind of farler at uh, Old Trafford yeah, two yeah. goals because I had that kit with Farah I think it was 23 still then uh, on the back I think for about five, six years in a row I had Robbie Farah on the back of my shirt again a number nine um, you, you lad who took the number nine shirt after the word in 23 um, you know it it's a weird thing because Liverpool have released kits every year and you can go into like the extortionate cost of football kits now is crazy. I, I can remember 
my birthday is in a couple of weeks, the end of July. I can remember every year I would get the new kiss for my birthday, whether that be the home or the away, because I think they used to come out in alternate years or whatever. Um, and that was it. I got one kiss, and that was it for the whole you know season. I was very lucky to get like me mum and dad would be able to afford like that's what you, that's your birthday present. That's all you were getting. Yeah. And now like these kits are released you know, free every season. In some cases, the special releases throughout the season. I remember the time not so long ago when we had a special European kit when Carlsberg was in yellow. Um, you know, I think that was a Reebok kit or something like that yeah, back yeah. in the day. Um, and you just think like, the market for football kits now is bizarre. It's crazy, like the demand out there. And the kits, I think they look, for me, the designs, they look good on the players because you know, there's a very small percentage of people who've got a body like a footballer who isn't a footballer. So the yeah. kids look really good on an adults. And then it's designed for, you know, attraction to, to the younger generation, the kids, whatever. And, you know, the the social demand for kids to have new kits. And if it looks good and the kids are happy with, you know, this weird sort of white and green pixelated design and if you know, we've had sort of mad cores like a luminous orange and a luminous highlighted yellow in recent times. And if the kids are happy to wear it and parents are fortunate enough to be able to buy it, you know, the current deal that we've got with Nike, where I think we get like 30% of any, you know, sales currently then, you know, goes back to the club. And if the demand for the kids is there because the target audience like what they see, then I suppose, you know, you just got to say, well, just get on with it. Like, it's not it's not what we traditionally like and I think on the flip side of that the home shirts is, is very basic with a white rounded collar I do like that like very traditionalist if if that's what they're going for they're thinking right if we can nail the home shirts and you know the majority of fans are happy with that because that's what we'll play probably 75% of our games in any way and then these wacky away shirts appeal to a younger generation that people want to buy also if that just puts money in the coffers and then people just say, right, well, if we've got, you know, X amount of money from Nike, that X amount of money then allows us to buy player Z, then I suppose like who are we to moan when we're really, you know, looking at the policy of we can only spend what we sort of recoup, if if that makes sense. Yeah, if someone said to you, Will you wear these bizarre clothes for a month and I'll give you a brand new like uh, Ferrari or something, you'd, you'd you'd put up with it for a month, maybe, wouldn't you? You know, but maybe that's what we're doing. We're wearing these bizarre clothes. I I like the um, the leaked images of the third kit. That looks all right, actually. That looks quite decent. Not that I think I'd be buying one to wear anyway, but you know, looks all right. Um, I just had a quick look on the club shop to see what one of these kits cost these days because it's been a long time since I've bothered to buy one and. Um, the first thing I clicked on is the LFC Night Men's 23-24 away stadium jersey because uh, Luis Diaz was was modelling it. seventy four ninety five, just for the top, you know. And I mean, when you were saying about when you were getting, I mean, I don't. Did you get the full kit bought for you when you were growing up? It was like, yeah, you know, uh, it, it wasn't seventy four ninety five for the whole lot. Shirt, short socks, was it? You know, I, I can't imagine it was. No, I think. <sighs> I'm going to say with, with name and number prints on the back, it was probably like, you know, 40 to 50 quid. Yeah. Up up until like, you know, I probably reached the teenage years. Um, and at that sort of age, like, you sort of become, you know, a little bit too, too cool. So you just, you just wear the shirt, 
you're not one yeah. of these full kit wankers in a sense. <laughs> um, unless like, you're playing football, like, and you know, if you play a, you know, Saturday league football or whatever, but even then, you, you just wore it for training or you were too cool. So you just wore the shirt and you wore, like, you know, a different pair of shorts. Yeah, you'd and, never wear the same shorts with the same top, would you? No, no, it was always, you know, like, if you're wearing your red lip bull shears, you, you threw on a pair of black Nike shorts and, you know, maybe a pair of white socks. So that would have did this, you know, because it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, like, I, I can't ever think that kits were that madly expensive. And obviously, shirts being printed on the back. I think there was a time, you might remember this better than me, where you used to pay for the letter. Yeah. Rather than the name. Yeah, so like, it, you, know, it was, you were better getting Ian, uh, Rush 9 than... Um, Whatever Matt Manaman's numbers was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Manaman's seven. So, like, you know, you think now, like, signing players like Sabozlai and McAllister and, like, paying by the letter, you'd be paying, you know, what, an extra 15 quid or something like that if you were buying McAllister's shirt. Yeah, Trent insists on his full name. Like, yeah, what number's going to be behind your kit? Um, <laughs> just have Trent and number 66. <laughs> yeah, I used to pay for each number as well, I think. So, if you had, yeah, like, yeah. you know, so you'd have to buy two numbers, then I think someone eventually works out that you may as well just give it name and number comes as one um, one fixed price. By the way, that that's the cheap adult top, the uh, the stadium one, the away match jersey, um, 115 quid. So, um, I think it 115 quid for you to spill your <laughs> tomato ketchup down in front of yourself. I mean, you've got to, as I say, you've got you've got to have a certain physique to pull off that shirt because it's 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 one of them you know very tight sort of molded fitted shirts. Um, I can't see many people on the cop a paying 115 quid for the shirt and b pulling it off like most salad does and c having the cheese grater abs underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and having the money to pay for it after all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it pays the bills, it pays the bills. I mean, I actually tend to find these days that the training stuff looks better. Um, but even that's not cheap. But, you know, I tend to find that like, it kind of looks, I don't know, looks different. But I mean, I, I'm, I mean I'm sort of all for wearing your colours, like wearing your club's colours to some extent, you know. Um, but... I do like a kind of discreet thing that you can get sometimes. In fact, I really love those kits I've seen with seen them in the club shop. Not bought one, but they've got the kind of retro kits, but they're all blacked out. So they're kind of it's a black shirt with black sponsor and black badge and everything on it, and it kind of just looks a bit different. Looks cool, but again, I usually look at the price and think, Nah, you're all right. I'll go and get a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I might get three t-shirts for the price of one <laughs> replica uh, shirt or whatever they are. Yeah. Um, I think is though. I mean, we're talking about us making all this money over here on different things, and you know, we've we've grumbled about how where we are in the league, grand league of money, um, way below the oil rich clubs and all the rest of that. But you know, still not doing too bad with good deals with Nike and our presence around the world. But I don't know. Um, can Everton themselves actually afford a hundred and fifteen pound shirt? You know, can they? Could they afford if they had to buy the shirts to kit all their players out in one of them? Um, and when we were last on, we were sort of mocking Bill Kenwright because his 48 hours of leaving had sort of dragged on for a week or so, or maybe more. Um, that was weeks ago. And he's still there. And apparently, according to what quote and, and stories doing the rounds, Mashiri wants him to stay. And you get to think, um, I don't know, what kind of... what is that the unflushable turd, isn't he, for them? Yeah, I think, you know, just when things couldn't get much worse um, for Everton 
they've, they've released a shirt that costs 80 quid. Um, <laughs> but they, sh- they ship it for free if you buy it on the website. Um, I just had a quick look there. I'll have to delete that now, otherwise I'll be getting cookies from Everton FC. Um, yeah, you know, we were saying... Will, will he ever go? Will he? Will he relinquish the keys? Will he? Will he let go of that little, little grip? And then I think I, you know, it was last week maybe, or maybe the week before. A week, a week's a long time in football, especially in transfer season. Um, Farhad Mashiri come out and said something along the lines of, "I, you know, we need to keep him, and he, he he's the ethos, and he understands Everton Football Club, and he's what we need going forward." And heads exploded. You know, they're not even playing and you can imagine the booze that were ringing out as people <laughs> looking at the phone and seeing that thinking, he's still there. Uh, I, and, I, you know, <laughs> at one respect, you just kind of like tip your hat to him and you just say like, this guy isn't going to go. He's literally a cockroach. He's literally just going to stay and stay and stay. And even if they knock the stadium down, he'll find his way out like a cockroach will. Like he'll sort of smuggle out under the bubble and then he'll appear at this new ground whenever it's done and dusted. But yeah, I I was speaking to to a couple of blues in work over the last week or two. Me, me regular friend is, is a, had some time off for an operation, so I've not seen him properly to have a good conversation. But speaking to a couple of others, um, you know, transfer season as within, and like you know, Liverpool last week, you know, the rumours of this was like coming in, and they're like, oh, 60 million quid, whatever, blah blah blah. I said like. You signed anyone yet? No, 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 no. Yeah, and Connor Cody's <laughs> just gone to Leicester, and I was like, God. "So you haven't signed Connor Cody?" No, no, no. He went. He went to Leicester for seven and a half million quid, and I was like, "Well, you could have bought him for four, couldn't you?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah." And so, so what? What Wolves have had you off there, haven't they? Because they've made it. They've made some more money, and yeah. But I was like, "If you signed anyone, he was like, nah, nah, we've just got Coleman on, a, on another year deal." And I'm thinking like maybe he's a bit like Bill Kenwright, right you know like you, you can't flush him out like he, he might break his leg and he might have a ripped hamstring but Seamus Coleman 60 grand lives on and I said like well it's not really looking good is it like you, you, you can't sign anyone players are leaving you're on free transfers and whatever you you still got all this FFPP FFPP FFP hanging over your heads what are you going to do and they were like I don't know like just hope that next season that there's three clubs wasting us again. <laughs> and I think like the negativity starts already. We haven't even got to the season yet. <laughs> and you're thinking, can we can we get there? Like and just hope that Luton, Chef United and someone else, because I think like the thinking Vinny Company's Burnley might be alright this season and might stay up. Um, well, spending nearly twenty million on kid goalkeepers, you know. Yeah, like you know, you think, Oh, oh God, like you lads are in for the long year, so uh so, so strap yourself in if you've got anyone who's an Evertonian nearby you because by the sounds of it you know we haven't even got to, to kick off point yet and the, the negativity's already begun so hmm, not not a good time to be hanging around any blues even if the sun is shining outside I wonder if um, like because it is actually a fish I didn't realise but Mishiri said he wanted Bill to remain as our chairman during this important period of transition for the club and he said he was delighted he'd accepted the request Um because his knowledge and vast experience will be crucial for us as we look to reset. How many times have they tried to reset, um, deliver on external investment, position Everton for a successful future? Um, is such... I mean, I don't think you could find an Everton fan with a good word to say for Ken Wright 
other than what they might say if he does go. If he does go, you might hear a few sort of, oh, well, you know what, he had his heart was in the right place and this, that and the other, and he did did do us some good at this point and stuff. But on the whole, it's kind of like there's been this like sudden realisation from the whole fan base that loads of their problems, the root cause of it is Bill Kenwright. And I'm just wondering, because um, they're so skint and all the rest of it, as we keep hearing, I wonder if he's sort of got like... Um, He's on some sort of retainer, sort of some sort of fee that to get rid of him, they're going to have to pay him off. You know, did um, did he sell his shares in a sort of way where, you know, he doesn't want the money till he leaves, something like that. You know, and if he leaves, they've got to pay him up. I'm just wondering if there's more to it, um, and you know, maybe Ken Wright's hanging on for that reason. But I don't know. I don't know. It just feels. And the reason I'm coming up with these theories is because it just feels like any other club, any other walk of life, to be told so clearly how unpopular you are, you'd like, you know... You'd, you'd take the hint. You'd go, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, we said it many a times, he, he's not he's not poor by any stretch of the imagination. Or he, and he's at that age, and it, it sort of... Do you reckon it's a game between him and Roy Hodgson who can outlast each other in football? <laughs> I think that's what it is. Like, you know, Roy, I seen it was the day like signed on for another year at Crystal Palace and I just think like, for God's sake, I mean, like, okay, you, you had a, a decent run and, you know, a couple of wins last season on the Palace, but if I was an Everton fan, I'd be like, I'd rate that Bill Kenway still there. And if I was a Palace fan, you'd think like, we've got all these exciting, young, talented players and, my fear would be that Roy is going to do Roy and his target is just going to be, right, let's get to 38 points next season and he'll do that one way or the other. Yeah. And all them talented players you've got will soon be, you know, disheartened and probably want to leave Palace within the next 12 months. And you think, like, oh, what a, what a, what a time to be a Palace fan. Said nobody ever in the next season coming. And yeah, maybe that's what it is. There's a, there's a competition who can, last the longest in football um, because the only other record that was left to be broken was can Davy Moyes win a trophy and he'd done that so yeah it's down to Roy or Bill now who's, who's who can last the longest in the the hunger games of football when I had a quick Google for Kenwright before just to see the statements and, he, and I came I found Bill Kenwright Kenwright.com Bill Kenwright Limited all these theatre and stuff you know and the first sort of picture on the page is 12 angry men I mean I'm sorry Bill there's going to be more than 12 <laughs> and you know there's a lot of angry men and women and dogs probably um going to be coming your way um but you know as always you know what we've done it again and we've we've managed to look at them over the road and um even though i wasn't feeling that bad about things with liverpool i'm actually feeling quite positive i'm really happy that we've got new players coming in feels like we're trying to make an effort forget what the other clubs are doing with all their extra money you know we concentrate on what we do Let's hope this is the season to be had. And so I'm really feeling positive. But then, yeah, as always, Everton just add a, add a bit more, don't they? So um, plenty for us to thought of laugh about, I'm sure, as, as the summer carries on and then into the season itself. And um, yeah, I wonder how many angry men there'll be by the end of it. But I think for this week, we've um, we found plenty to talk about considering there's no football on. I'm sure that'll be the case next time. So I hope you'll listen again. Thanks for listening this time. Thanks for always listening. And keep listening to all the rest of the stuff on Anfield Index. Keep your head up high and keep sane because it's not much longer now until the tennis and the cricket makes way for the real stuff. But for us, for now, that is it. We will see you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.